0: Good morning. To make sure there's no confusion, my name is Larry Bell. It's not Chris McCurley. It's not even Tom Selleck. It's not Mr. Rogers. My uh, very very dear friend Chris McCurley has introduced me now twice that way. Uh, It's a cross between Tom Selleck and Mr. Rogers. Uh, Thank you, Chris. I am very pleased to be here in front of you this morning to present a message to you from, from God's Word. You know, the events that we vividly remember in our lives are those events that perhaps we were very excited, very happy, or maybe we were very anxious or even scared. We also remember those who were there at those moments in our lives. I think back, and most of you know that I was on the fire department for a good number of years. And I think back to one of the original uh, crew members I was with. I think back to the, a call that happened one early morning. I hadn't been on too long, hadn't made too many calls. We had a structure fire come in. I remember thinking while we were en route, I'm thinking, wow, I'm going to a house fire at two o'clock in the morning on a fire truck. I was gradually coming to my senses. Well, as we got closer, the officer turned to the two firefighters, me being one of them in the back seat, and said, we have heavy smoke showing. Well, my adrenaline level jumped and all of a sudden I was wide awake. I looked over to my my firefighter in the back seat. His name was Gary. And Gary gave me a, a reassuring nod and he hollered at me, stay close to me. I was very thankful he was there. We pulled up and we were assigned to search. We went to the front door, heavy smoke bellowing from the front door. Gary's a big guy, but he can move really quick. And I did my best to stay up with him at going through that house and searching. We were banging into furniture, holding to the wall, making sure that we kept our bearings straight. Thankfully, no one was home. We were able to give an all clear that uh, no one was there. Everyone was accounted for. What I remember about that event was, of course, the fire itself. I remember Gary, that reassuring and that confidence uh, nod that he gave me and to stay close to him. You know, the thing is, I had thought back, uh, that wasn't the first experience that I'd had with Gary. When I was going through rookie school, we had live burns that we had to, to practice. He was on a crew that came out to help with that. And he and i were paired up and i remember him being on and backing me up on a hose line and coaching me and guiding me through even when there was a lot of heat and smoke coming over me and i was ready to go the other direction he kept me in there and kept me encouraged kept me going what's interesting interesting enough is later on in our careers gary became my driver once again there in the role of support he was my confidant He's the one I looked to for some reassuring things as I was trying to make decisions. And then I think back to even when I moved into the fire chief's office, he was there and he said, Larry, just let me do my job. The thing is, he had never wanted to promote to the ranks. He said he didn't want the hassle of dealing with his crew or different ones. But the thing is, he and I both knew that's exactly what he was doing. They were in a, a supervisory, official supervisory role, but he took care of people, of officers and firefighters who needed that. There's a reassuring time. This morning, we're going to go back to a memorable event that's recorded in the book of Mark, that we're going to see that assurance, calmness, and confidence as we look to Christ to have our faith strengthened. We're meet reading Mark 4, 35 through 41. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, Let's go over to the other side. After dismissing the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a fierce gale of wind developed, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling with water. And yet Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Fear is specifically mentioned over 300 times in scripture. Some of that is to reassure us from a spiritual perspective to stay reassured. To not fear but then there's also the other piece of it of we are to fear the Lord and this morning we're gonna look at both of those things think about the world that we live in think about the recent events that we've all been through and we're continuing really to experience this can cause us to fear to be anxious and to wonder what comes next Ecclesiastes 1 9 we read that there is nothing new under the sun there's nothing that changes the fundamental facts of the human condition yet we know recent events have changed our lives and threaten our well-being we know that satan is active chris has reminded that through his sermons of of late that he's active He's, he's prowling around he's waiting to enter our lives and to drag us down the scriptures deal often with the subject of fear among believers or among human beings really in general, because it's so common to our humanity. So my question to you this morning, what do you fear? This past year and a half, we have dealt with racial tensions, government upheaval, a demoralization of our nation. We have worked through COVID circumstances. We have lost loved ones. We have the feeling the after effects of uh, the, the pandemic some are struggling with their marriage they're struggling with their finances they're struggling with their health there are a lot of things that we can be anxious about some aspect of that let's look at the background of this event in mark jesus calming the sea we read again in mark 4 35 through 36 on that day when evening came he said to them let's go over to the other side After dismissing the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. Jesus was human, and this event came when he was exhausted. He had spent days with people, people crowding around him. He was healing, he was teaching, he was ministering, and just around people constantly, and it wore him down. In Mark, we see that he has uh, the first three chapters we read where Jesus just gave plain truths and performed some miracles. Then we see here in chapter 4, he starts teaching in parables to, to help people better understand. And then we come to this event, that he was physically exhausted. He said to the disciples, let's get away. Let's go to the other side of the lake. Mark makes clear that Jesus had not planned this. They took him with them just as he was. There was no advanced preparation, no provisions, change of clothing. They didn't notify anyone. Nothing mattered at this point. He just needed some rest. In fact, the Greek tense of let us cross reveals an urgency uh, in Jesus' decision to depart. It's more like, okay, let's cross. We got to go. He was exhausted. Note also that the end of verse 36 says other boats were with him. So even on the escape to rest, there were people who followed in other boats. Before we get on to those people who were following in other boats, think about the practical purpose of what then happened. Jesus knew there was a storm that was going to come and what he was going to do. I think too many times we write things off as, well, that's just figurative. Or those who were with Jesus uh, fabricated some things in their mind. They, maybe it was a hallucination. Well, the thing is, with that other boat and those others, they saw what was going on. They knew. Mark four thirty seven through 39. And a fierce gale of wind developed, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling with water. And yet Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. So we see the anxiousness. We see the fear of these disciples. A story was shared with me, a true story, from my son, actually, one of his friends. This friend was going to keep their neighbor's house, watch their neighbor's house as their neighbor was on vacation. And what they did is they gave them, of course, the keys to the house. They told them how to feed the pets, uh, pick up the mail. They gave them the alarm code to the alarm system. Well, sure enough, the very first night, early in the morning, the alarm went off. And so the the neighbor who was there watching the house and his, his wife went over to check things out. They were both licensed to carry a weapon, and so they took their weapons with them. As they entered the house, they heard it. There was something in the back bedroom in the closet. There was noise coming from back there. They realized this is the real deal. So he started putting a plan in mind, what am I gonna do? He told his wife to stay back. And he drew his weapon and advanced to the, the closet. He was thinking, I'm gonna try to, to be quiet and then be all of a sudden, Uh, get the jump on this, what's going on here. When he did that, he jumped out and he came face to face with a Roomba, a vacuum cleaner (laughs) that had activated, it was stuck, and banging around in the closet. You can imagine the sense of relief. He went from, I've got my weapon pulled to, oh, I've got to turn the vacuum cleaner off. (laughs) Think about this. They were experiencing some anxiousness. They were afraid. Imagine the sense of relief that they experienced. Verse 38 says, They awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You see, these were, a lot of them, experienced fishermen. They had experienced storms before. But then they are experiencing a storm where they saw themselves as perishing. This was it for them. They were very fearful of what was taking place. And yet Jesus was there in the stern of the boat, sleeping. Who of us us have not felt that way at times? We are in a predicament. Maybe we're frustrated. Maybe we're panicky. We're in a situation that we've never experienced before. And we reach out to the Lord. We pray fervently. We ask him to intervene, we ask for certain things to take place, but it seems like there is silence. We don't see anything taking place. We feel the same way many times as they felt. Do you not care? Are you indifferent? But then they ask, and when he arose without saying a word to them at first, he rebuked the wind and literally muzzled the sea and then reprimanded the disciples. They had come with the words, don't you care that we're perishing? They were basically saying, don't just lie there. Do something. Do something. Well, I don't know what they expected him to do. You know, they had woke him up. Uh, They knew that he was a man. They knew what they had seen in the past, but they were just, they were very afraid. So they accused him of not caring, but what do you do? His first words were to rebuke the wind and muzzle the sea. He said to the wind, peace, and to the sea, be still. And what happened astonished the disciples. There suddenly came a great calm. Jesus stood up and rebuked the wind, which literally means he ordered or censored it. It's the same word, the same Greek word used by Jesus when he commanded or censored evil spirits. Jesus meant not only to calm his disciples' nerves, but to reveal to them that he had the same command over the forces of nature as he did over demons. Then Jesus turned this into a teaching moment, didn't he? He asked them why they were so fearful and why they had no faith. Wouldn't you think the disciples had some faith? They were watching all the things that Jesus had done. They called him Master. They knew when things got very dire That they needed to go to him. When we are in distress and call upon the Lord to deliver us, we prove that we have some faith as well. But too often, we are astonished as well. You ever use that term, Yeah, that was a God thing. Because we can look back and see. When we pray to the Lord, do we honestly expect the results? Do we honestly expect that he's hearing? Do we expect actions? They were taken by surprise. They had forgotten what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6:30, "But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? You see, Jesus was in the boat with them. Their fate would be his fate. How would they have acted, how they responded, you think, if they did have faith? Suppose their faith was strong. What would they have done? Their faith would have reminded them of two important facts. First of all, the boat is not going to sink. It can't sink when the master of the ocean and the earth and the sky is in it. Secondly, the storm will not last forever. And think about the lessons that we need to be taken into our mind. First, the boat's not going to sink. The Lord's in control. He's on His throne. Secondly, the storm is not going to last forever. Jesus doesn't rebuke them for their lack of understanding, but for their fear. The real threat to faith is not a lack of knowledge, but it's fear. Faith and fear cancel each other out. Then. We see, on the other hand, another fearful reaction to Jesus in verse 41. They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Ironically, the terror of the disciples of what Jesus did was greater than what they experienced in the storm where they thought they were perishing. And now they are totally astonished about this, this man that has done this. They were filled with great fear, Mark says. They were literally terrified. Here's a sense of deep respect, which at its core is a sense of awe. As amazing as Jesus' healings and demon exorcisms had been, they had vastly underestimated his authority and his power. They had seen other miracles, but it paled to this, this one. Jesus displayed before them a whole new level of authority and power. They suddenly realized that Jesus of Nazareth, their wise teacher, their wonderful friend, was far more than what they realized. Despite their belief in Jesus as the Messiah, they still had not grasped that Jesus was himself God, giving God's power and authority over all creation. Jesus is Lord fear the lord is that confusing to fear the lord he's a loving god but yet we're told to fear the lord we get confused what does that mean what does that mean for me i thought fear was a bad thing how am i supposed to be with god how do i look to god here's the key the fear of the lord that fear is not the fear that you experience in a life-threatening situation it's not the fear that you may experience as you toss and turn, wondering what's going to happen the next day. That's not the fear. <clears throat> Excuse me. When you fear the Lord, you take God seriously. You give God the appropriate respect, reverence, honor, and awe for his person and his position. You know that God is God and you're not. The Bible promises great blessings to the man or woman who walks in the fear of the Lord. Psalms 128.1 says, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. So, do we have that kind of respect for God? When we walk in the fear of the Lord, we live in a constant state of respect and reverence for our God. The world has forgotten. The Lord is in control. He is God. We are filled with His gratitude for gratitude of His goodness. We know who he is. So, why did Jesus perform this miracle? And why do Mark and Matthew and Luke all record this? Was it just simply a show of of power? I don't think so. I think it went much more. He wanted to show them that, yes, he is the Christ. He is God. He is God. They needed to understand that the calming of the wind and sea was not just a demonstration of power. Is an epiphany through which Jesus continued to unveil his identity as God. The Bible is filled with life and death questions, including this one. We read, For what good will it do a person if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what will a person give in exchange for his soul? Who do you yourselves say that I am? What are you seeking? What shall I do so that I may inherit eternal life? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Which commandment is the foremost of all? What is truth? So now the question posed in Mark four forty one 41 asks, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this Jesus, <clears throat> the one who speaks with a new level of authority, the one who can bring calm to the storms of life, the one who comes among us as prince of peace, suffering servant, full of compassion and grace. Fear of the Lord brings us comfort in uncertain times. And we're afraid when we suddenly get caught off guard on something, we don't know what comes next. Or maybe the scope of whatever we're dealing with all of a sudden got much bigger. We didn't anticipate what was going to happen, and we don't know what comes next. There's a lot of anxious, anxiousness that we experience, whether it be through a loss of job, health concerns, all the storms in life that can take place in our lives. What comes next? And it can't help but be on our minds as we, as we uh, discuss this. Fear the Lord is the biblical term <clears throat> for a heightened awareness that the presence or realization of God brings into our lives. We are not the center of our existence. God is. We don't know what's going to happen next. Fear of the Lord prevents us from thinking what we know that we know it all. We are open to the awesomeness of God. The fear of the Lord prevents us from acting arrogantly and therefore destroying some quality of truth or goodness that we don't recognize or we don't understand. When we fear the Lord, we have a confidence, a comfort, and a peace that surpasses any understanding. Everyone likes stories of courage, stories of heroism, especially in times when things are extremely difficult. There's a, a gentleman by the name of Rick Rescorla. This is Rick. Rick's story culminated on September the 11th, 2001. Rick had a very storied career He had a very diverse career. He was a Vietnam veteran. He had learned and he looked through so many things in his life that dealt with the terribleness of life. He was hired on from Morgan Stanley, who took up 40 floors of one of the World Trade Center towers. His responsibility was their security and their safety. He hired a consultant uh, based on the fact that this consultant was an evil person and he thought in evil ways. And he wanted to pick his brain on what to expect. Rick studied those towers, the engineering, how they could hold up under different stresses. He studied the flow of people in and out. He kept track of world events that were going on at the time. And he prepared those employees, 2,700 employees, for that case. He wasn't concerned about the day-to-day theft that may occur. He was concerned for their safety and their well-being. As we all well know, that morning, when that first plane struck the adjoining tower to where he was, everyone looked at, to that tower that was their employees of Morgan Stanley. They saw the paper starting to rain down. Uh, they saw the fire. They saw people perishing. They automatically went to their staging area that was at the elevators without even being told. They had prepared. They were ready. The loudspeakers, the PA system was saying, everything's secure. Stay where you are. Everything is secure. And everything was until that second plane hit. Rick knew that the stresses put on those buildings were not uphold. What you see him doing right here, this is a, an actual photo of him on his bullhorn directing everyone to different stairwells, telling them to, to stay calm, stay under control, let's exit. As a result of his efforts, all 2,700 employees exited safely. As he was going up to do one last pass. The building collapsed, killing Rick, and those that were still in the building. But you think about his efforts. You think about those 2,700. They were prepared. They looked to someone for reassurance, for calm, for a plan. You see the parallel of what we're talking about this morning when we don't know what to expect, but we know there's evil all around us. We know Satan is alive and well. The thing is, preparation had made the difference and it was repeatedly practiced. There was a reliance or a faith on someone who knew the way and we had that same thing in a spiritual sense. So, let's think about how we apply this. The ma- main reason Mark records this story is to emphasize that Jesus is the Son of God, but there's more to it. It's a beautiful picture of believers when they go through the trials there are some things that can be done and some things to be mindful of that we can take from this first when jesus gets on our boat of life it does not exempt us from storms as christians we find out that the lord sometimes allows us to experience things to mold us and mature us in our christian life and often to fit us better for his service when we enter a storm in our lives we naturally want to go the other direction. We don't like pain. We don't like suffering. We don't like for our family to be negatively impacted. We go the other way. Any difficult trial in our lives, we would go the other direction. But sometimes, you know, our trials are our own fault. And other times, they just happen because we're in the same boat with Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.12 reads, Indeed, all who want to live in a godly way in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. James 1, 2 through 4, consider all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result that so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So if you're complaining to God about these things taking place, reconsider. God allows trials in our life for our good. Jesus could have kept the disciples from experiencing that storm. He could have kept them from that. But their faith would not have been strengthened, it would not have been grown, and they would not have seen the the power and the majesty of Jesus. Second, God wants to bring you to where you recognize that without him, you cannot handle the storms of life alone. See, the disciples did not go to him first, did they? They tried to take care of things. It was just as a a last resort that then they went to, to Jesus and said, we're perishing, help us. God much rather be there for us day to day, moment by moment, as we prepare as we go through our life. We need God there. He wants to be there for us. We often have a sense that we can handle our own problems. We don't say it, maybe, but we have a sense of, God, I got this, I'll call you if I, if I need you. That tears us down it should have to come to that before we look to God third you never need to fear in a stormy time Jesus has complete control of your storm when you go through a storm it doesn't catch God by surprise when you're going through a very difficult situation you know he doesn't call an emergency meeting of the Trinity and say what are we gonna do you see he knows you he knows your life he knows what you're going through It doesn't catch him off guard. If you're going through a storm today, and I look around this room, and I I know of different circumstances here, and I know you're going through a storm. I know you're going through difficult times. God has not stepped off of his throne. Are things going bad for you right now? God is still on the throne. We have to remind ourselves repeatedly that God is the almighty he is control, in control, and we are His. Last, when you turn to God for help, He brings peace and calm. In your time of trouble, Jesus can bring peace and rest if you'll just come to Him. Matthew 11:28 28-30, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. Then in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Storms are going to come. Many of us have experienced storms. God does not always take us from the storm, but he sees us through the storm. Jesus is Lord. Whatever we're experiencing, whatever we're going to experience, Jesus is Lord. God is in control. So the question is, is why why are you afraid? Why do you have such little faith? That's the message this morning. Remember that the boat will not sink. The storm is not going to last forever. That's having faith. God's in control. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your your power over all the events of our lives, over all the forces which influence us. We thank you, Lord, that you are here with us to comfort and strengthen us, to reassure us, to take us through whatever storms may come. We know that whatever forces arise from within us to frighten us, you are able to handle them. We worship you as we think of the greatness and glory of the one who has come to us to be in us and among us. We thank you, dear Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning, we invite you to come. Like I said, I know people are experiencing storms. Uh, You know, I know, there is power in the Lord. If we can pray for you, if we can be there for you and help you through those storms, that's what we're to be about as a Christian family. If you need to put the Lord on in baptism, you've come to that point in your life and you understand that and recognize that Jesus is Lord. He is the Almighty. We can do that this morning. So whatever your need may be, please come while we stand and sing.